or in Matthew chapter 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. I'm excited to be able to preach God's Word uh, to uh, the best church family in all the world, and I'm looking forward to digging into what God has for us in His Word today. On our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that the anthem of this particular Gospel is that it is the Gospel of the King. Matthew focuses in on the kingship of Jesus Christ, that He is Israel's uh, prophesied Messiah King who came into this world to deliver us from our sins. And as we, when we started this journey almost, uh, almost uh, nine months ago now in, through the Gospel of Matthew, we learned that there are seven sections to the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I know I'm giving you lots of boring information here, okay? Um, but hang with me. I'm going somewhere with this. We learned there are seven sections to the Gospel of Matthew. There's a, pro, uh, there's a, uh, uh, there's a preface, and then there's, there's the ending to, uh, to, the, to the Gospel of Matthew, which covers the beginning of Jesus' life and, of course, His passion when He went to the cross, when He rose again, and the, and the events that followed. Those are tucked in at the beginning and end of the book. But then in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew, there are five other sequential sections. And you can tell that they're different sections of Matthew by the fact that they'll, uh, the, the, Matthew will tell a little bit of the history of Jesus' life and follow it up with a chapter uh, of Jesus' teaching, a chapter or two of Jesus' teaching. So, for example, we just got out of the first section of the Gospel of Matthew. And in that first section, uh, we, be, we got a preview of uh, the early life and ministry of Jesus. And then he gave his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we turn to Matthew chapter 8, we're actually getting into the second section of the Gospel of Matthew. In the beginning, the prologue of Matthew, verses, or chapters 1 and 2, we were introduced to the person of Jesus, who this Jesus is. Then in the first section, chapters 3 through 7, which we've studied in, in weeks past, uh, we, were introduced to Jesus, we were introduced to the principles of Jesus. Now as we come in to this second section of Matthew, in chapters, uh, 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 chapters 8 through 10, we're going to see the power of Jesus on display for us. And so to build the context for what we're about to study, I actually want you to just look at the verses at the end of chapter number 7. Because Jesus had just preached his sermon on the mount. As we've said many times, the greatest sermon that ever was preached. And I want you to notice in particular how the multitudes of people who gathered to hear that sermon responded to it. All right, In, in chapter number 7, starting in verse number 28. If you're with me, say amen. That's what the Bible says. It says, uh, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine or his teaching. For he taught them as one having what? Authority. authority and not as the scribes. That word authority is translated from the Greek word exousia, which speaks of power. And what's being referred to here is the power of his authority. It's the same word that's used later at the end of the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus said, All power or authority is given to me in heaven and earth. One of the things Matthew labors to communicate to us in this next section of the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus was not just one who was mighty in word, but he was one who was mighty in deed. He was one who had the very authority of God because he is indeed God himself. That's who Jesus Christ is. And so the people were amazed at the power of Jesus' words. Never man spake like this man. 
That's what one person actually said of Jesus and the words that he spoke. The reason why they were so astonished at how he taught and how he spoke was because he did not teach or preach, we could say, like all the other scribes in that day did. When the, when the other scribes would sit in the synagogue and teach, they would bring out all the ancient scrolls and, the, and, and look at what the scholars had to say and try to communicate truth from what the experts had to say. All right? It was a popular, whatever the popular theology was of that day. But Jesus didn't talk that way. When Jesus spoke, he didn't speak on someone else's authority. He spoke on his own authority. And that's why there was such power in his words. And we understand why Jesus spoke on his own authority. Because every word Jesus speaks is the very word of God. That's, what, that's who Jesus is. He is the word of God. And every word that he speaks is indeed the word of God. And so they marveled at his power in, in the words that he spoke Turning on to Matthew chapter 8 now, notice what happens next. Matthew 8, verse number 1, the Bible says, When he, Jesus, was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. The same crowd that had followed him up the mountain to hear him preach that great sermon followed him back down because they didn't want to lose sight of this man who had uh, made them marvel with the, the spiritually powerful words that he had spoken and as they followed him down from the mountain, one of the things they began to see is that the powerful words he spoke were followed up and backed up by some very powerful works. Works that could only be done by someone who is God in the flesh. And so Matthew chapters 8 and 9, in, in these chapters of Matthew, Matthew records for us 10 specific miracles that Jesus did. We're going to look at three of them today. Understand, these miracles were not given in chronological order. But these miracles were given to prove a very specific point. And listen to me. The point Matthew is trying to prove by sharing the power of Jesus' miracles is the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah King. The one God promised would come. He is the very Son of God. And He is the Savior of the world. The only one who could save us from our sins. That's what the miracles of Jesus primarily were given to us for. To confirm these truths in our heart. John, in speaking of why he shared the miracles of Jesus in his gospel, he said this in John chapter 20 and verse 31. He said, but these, these miracles are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. John said the reason that we've shared these miraculous things Jesus did is not just to wow you. It's to cause you to understand that Jesus is exactly who He said He is. Now let's face it. When it comes to the subject of miracles today, there seems to be among many circles an infatuation with the miraculous. And not in a biblical sense. And in fact, you go into some churches and you, just, you might as well be prone to get smacked in the face if you go in there. Uh, just to prove that they can do miracles to you. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about. Benny Hinn and all that, all that jazz. And there are a lot of charlatans who understand that they can prey on people when it comes to saying they can do miraculous things when indeed they cannot do miraculous things. We understand there are those types of people in this world, and yet in our circle, I feel like what we err on the side of is not in, uh, not in a sensationalizing the miraculous, but in just, deci just deciding I don't think that stuff happens anymore. We demote 
the miraculous. Reminds me of the story I heard about a man who, he was, back, he, was, he was back east and there was a flood happening, rising up, and he was actually rising up to the place of his roof. And he found himself on his roof and he prayed to God. He said, God, I'm going to pray for a miracle that you'll save me. He's standing on that roof and, and while this took place, a man in a rowboat comes along. He says, jump in, I'll get you out of here. And the man said, no, I prayed and asked God for a miracle. And I'm trusting God to save me. So begrudgingly, the man went on his way. A little while later, another group of men in a rowboat came along, or in a motorboat came along. They said, listen, we're trying to save everybody we can. Jump in. The man said, no, I prayed and asked God for a miracle. And I'm going to trust Him. And they went on their way. The water kept getting higher and higher, and eventually, a helicopter comes along. What's down a ladder? And says to the man, jump in. Jump on. The man said, no, I prayed and asked God for a miracle. And I'm going to stay here and trust Him because I believe God's going to give me a miracle. Begrudgingly, the helicopter flies off. Well, the man died in the flood. He found himself in heaven. He looked at God. He said, God, what in the world? I prayed and I believed in You and I asked You for a miracle and You didn't save me. He said, well, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more do you expect? (laughs) Now, it's a silly story. Not a true story obviously. But it demonstrates the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes we tend to be on the side of saying, well, miracles don't happen anymore. I want to tell you something. I have seen God do miraculous things. I have seen God do things that I can't explain. Even this past week, I've seen God do things that I cannot explain. Now, I had nothing to do with it. It was all, that, all, all of God's doing. But understand this. Do miracles still happen today? Absolutely, yes, they do. But as old Adrian Rogers used to say, it's okay to believe in miracles, but you need to trust in Jesus. Try to believe in them because they happen, and God, our God, is still a God that does the miraculous. But ultimately, we don't believe we don't believe in miracles to trust in the miracles for themselves. We're trusting in Jesus Christ because He's the one that does the miraculous. So as we study this passage of Scripture, we're going to get a preview into the miraculous ministry of Jesus Christ. And I'll say this, there is still a great need for the healing ministry of Jesus in the day that we're living in. We live in a day where we're seeing physical maladies unlike really any other time in history. We know more about science today, perhaps is why, but there seems to be a new sickness that comes on the scene every week in the scope of this world. There are physical maladies, there are emotional maladies that people struggle with in our day and time. There are psychological sicknesses, relational sicknesses, and of course there are spiritual sicknesses that exist all over this world and in this very room. And understand when I'm talking about the healing ministry of Jesus Christ, I'm not just talking about physical healing. For some of you, what you've needed for a very long time is some emotional healing. That you have never received it because you've never turned to get it from the Lord. Some of you, it's psychological. Some of you, it's spiritual. There's spiritual warfare that's taking place in your life. And as Jesus miraculously cast out demons, as we'll see in the pages of Scripture in a minute, we still have a God who is able to do those kind of wonder-working, uh, wonder-working miracles in the day we're living in today. And so the point I'm trying to get to you is uh, whatever type of healing you are in need of today, Jesus can meet your need. 
As the Bible says in Luke chapter 5 and verse 17, the power of the Lord is present to heal you. It's still present. Our God, our Savior Jesus, is just as powerful today as we're going to see He was all the way back in Matthew chapter 8. Now, do you believe that? Because if you believe that, it ought to change the way you're looking at your circumstance. And I hope that as we preach about the healing ministry of Jesus, that you will be convinced about your specific need and what God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is able to do for you. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to see three instances of Jesus' healing ministry. And along with those, we'll give three life-changing applications that I think will be a help to us today. Why don't we bow our heads and pray and ask for God to speak to our hearts. Our Father, we come before you this morning and we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to open your word together. And Lord, as we see your healing ministry on display today, I pray that you will bring to our mind the needs in our own lives and perhaps in our families, perhaps among people that we care for deeply. Uh, help us to see those needs in the context of your power today and your authority and what you're able to do. And God, I pray that you would increase our faith as we study these truths. There are some in this room who have a spiritual sickness of the soul. They're not saved. They're lost. And they cannot possibly heal themselves. They cannot possibly save themselves. I pray you'd uh, make them aware of their great spiritual need today and help them come to the place of trusting you to be their healer. And, uh, and to save them from their sin. And I pray, God, that you would have free reign to work in our hearts during this service. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at three instances of Jesus' healing ministry. So the first one, if you're taking notes, you can write down, is the outcast. We're going to look at the story about the outcast. But the first miracle uh, involved a man who by every standard, was an outcast of society. Look at verse number 2 with me. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Verse number 2 says, And behold, there came a what? A leper. We don't know who this man's, what this man's name is, but what we do know is that this man was a leper. Let me talk to you about leprosy for just a little bit this morning. Leprosy was a terrible plague. It was very prominent in Jesus' day. It still exists today, and, and most uh, uh, people in the medical field actually believe that the biblical leprosy is actually something that's called Hansen's disease today. We have some Hansen's in here. I'm sorry, it has nothing to do with you, okay? Uh, but Hansen's disease is what it's known as today. And it would start with, with a small spot somewhere on the body, a lot of times on the head, and it would begin to spread all throughout the body. It would make someone's skin very scaly. Actually, the word leprous comes from a root word that means, uh, that means scaly. And it would start to spread from the outside of the body inward. It would eat away at the flesh. It would eat away. Actually, it would eventually start eating away at the very bones of an individual. And it was a very slow and, and nasty and painful death that those who contracted leprosy were condemned to. It was also a disease that was very highly contagious. So much so that laws were made in the Old Testament that required lepers to live outside the city. And it required for people to keep a distance from lepers. You know how far the distance was? Six feet. I know we don't like talking about six feet distances, okay? But this was an actual illness, okay? So here you go. Uh, but six feet distance. And, uh, and then the lepers, if they did have to come into town for something, they were made to cover their upper lip. 
And they were made to cry out as they're walking through the city, unclean, unclean. Now, I'm not a very social person, so sometimes when I go to Walmart, I thought this would actually be a great strategy. Okay? Put a mask on and say, unclean, unclean. Uh, I don't think I'd have any problems then if I tried that. But anyways, that's a different subject. The lepers were made to do this. And so leprosy was uh, the most feared among all the ancient illnesses because there was no cure for it. And actually still today, in severe cases with the Hansen's disease, they, they, they can only treat it. Uh, they, they can't cure it. They can't, uh, uh, they can't totally get rid of leprosy. In the Bible, leprosy is always a spiritual picture of sin. This is important for us to understand. It's always a spiritual picture of sin. Sin is an incurable, hereditary disease that slowly spreads in every one of us, defiling us and isolating us from others and eventually resulting in our eternal death. Imagine the nasty disease of leprosy and how it tears a person's body up till it destroys them. That's exactly what sin does to every single one of us. And understand this and listen to me on this. Every one of us are inflicted with the disease of sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned. Romans 3.23. And the reason we sin is because we are born with this sin nature. We contracted this disease of sin from our fathers. And then from their fathers all the way back to the first man who ever lived, Adam. Romans 5.12 says, for as by one man sin entered into the world... And death by sin. And so now death is passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. We sin uh, because we are born with this sin nature. And the Bible makes clear that all of us are suffering from this terrible disease. Spiritually speaking. Exactly like leprosy. And every person must come to a place in their life. Where they see themselves just like this poor leper. Who came and bowed himself before Jesus Christ. Because spiritually, we are just as outcast and just as destitute without Jesus Christ because of our sin. So this leper comes to Jesus for healing. In verse number 2, the Bible says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, Jesus, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. As I studied this leper's testimony here in the scripture, there are several significant aspects about this leper that stand out in the scriptures. First, I want you to see his desperation. This leper came, entered into the city where Jesus was. No doubt as he walked through the city, he's having to say unclean. He's having to say unclean. He's coming into a multitude of people that's surrounding Jesus. And I can just imagine the disdain that he's getting from the people that are around. Why is a leper here? You don't belong here. You shouldn't be in the city. You shouldn't be in a big crowd. But boy, he was so desperate. He didn't care about the mad looks. He didn't care about the, the evil looks that he was getting from other people. Or the rejection he was getting from other people. Because he needed to see Jesus. And so he came to Jesus. You see his desperation. I see also his reverence. The Bible says he bowed before Jesus, acknowledging him as Lord. He actually calls him Lord here in the scripture. And that's not just a, a, a respectful title. That's a reverential, worshipful title. He believed that Jesus was Lord, that he was Messiah, that he was God come in the flesh. He called him Lord. We see his reverence. I also see his humility in this account. He comes to Jesus as a leper. He doesn't try to hide anything about his condition. 
The Bible says he bows down on his face before Jesus. And he asks for Jesus to be merciful to him in his desperate condition. We see his humility in bowing before Jesus. But I also see his faith. I love what he says there in verse number 2. He said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. See, he believed that Jesus had the power and authority to heal him if he was willing to do it. He didn't say, Jesus, if you can, will you? He said, Jesus, if you will, I know you can. See, he believed that Jesus had the power to meet the need that he had in his life. And I'll say this, for those of us who are inflicted with the disease of sin that is akin spiritually to this disease of leprosy, we must choose to come to the Lord in exactly the same way that this leper came to Jesus Christ. We must come desperately to Jesus realizing our hopelessly lost condition and reverently acknowledge who He is. He is Lord. He is Savior. He's the only one who can help us. We must humbly admit that we are hopeless without Him and trust in Him and Him alone to save us. We see in the manner that this leper came to Christ a reflection of what is needed for every one of us to come to Christ to be able to be saved from our hopeless condition as sinners. And I'll say this, nobody who comes to Jesus in this way will ever be turned away. Nobody. I'm sure that leper wondered what Jesus would do, but thank God we'll see in a minute he was not turned away. And if you come to Christ humbly, acknowledging your sinfulness and crying out for salvation from Him, He won't turn you away. John chapter 6, verse number 37, Jesus said, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I won't cast you out. When this leper came to Jesus, I'm sure he was wondering how Jesus would respond. Let's look at verse 3 and see how He did. In verse number 3, the Bible says, And Jesus put forth His hand. And what did He do? Think about this. If you read the Old Testament law, which was still relevant in this time, the law said you can't go near a leper. In fact, the law disallowed people from touching lepers. And so here's a man who in the society he's living in, he probably hasn't experienced a human touch for as long as he can remember. And he humbly bows on his face and he says, Lord, if you will, I know you can heal me. And he, and, he, and he experienced something he could not have expected in his wildest imagination. For the first time, as long as he could remember, he felt someone touch him. Imagine. You know, imagine the emotion that was going through the mind of, of this dear man at this point. Jesus was willing and still is willing to touch the lives of those that everybody else wants to cast out. Yeah. A lot of times we come to church, we have a certain expectation that people are supposed to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain type of person. Sometimes it's easy for us to look over and say, well, what are they doing here? I'm glad Jesus wasn't that way. In fact, he was more inclined to go to those that no one else would go to because they knew they needed him. 
Jesus did not reject the outcast. He received him in. In Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus said, They that are whole, they don't need a physician. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And boy, as an outcast myself, as someone who is lost in sin and no hope of being saved, I'm so glad that Jesus was willing to reach down and touch a heart like mine and touch a life like mine so that I could be saved. I remember the day I experienced the touch of God on my life. You say, was it physical? No, it wasn't physical. It was very spiritual, but it was very real. I remember sitting in a church service just like this. I'd been going to church for most of my life, but for the first time in my life, I felt God touch my heart. And I knew I was a sinner, and I knew I needed Jesus to save me. And after He touched my heart, boy, it was actually during the song service. I could not wait till the end of the service. In fact, if I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have waited. I would have come forward right then. I could not wait till the end of the service. And I walked down the aisle and I got on my knees and I confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I got saved that day. I remember the day I felt the hand of Jesus touch my life. My question for you today is, have you ever had a day like that? Have you ever felt the touch of Christ on your life? Because I'm going to tell you something. It changed that leper's life and it will change your life too if you'll let Jesus Christ do His saving work in your heart today. And so the Bible tells us that after Jesus touched this leper, in verse number 3, He spoke some words to him. He said, I will. Remember what the leper asked? Jesus, if you will, I know you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. Be clean. And the Bible says that when Jesus spoke those words, the deed was done. At the end of verse 3, it says, and immediately His leprosy was cleansed. Boy, I'm so thankful that when Jesus Christ speaks into a person's life, when Jesus Christ touches a person's life, they are never, never the same. They are changed forever. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, they are a new new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Have you experienced that kind of change in your life? Because Jesus Christ has entered in. Because if you haven't, I hope today will be the day that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now the Bible tells us in verse 4 that Jesus told this leper to do something very peculiar. Look at verse 4. In verse 4 the Bible says, And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Jesus asked this leprous man who had been cleansed to actually fulfill the law of the Old Testament. And it's actually recorded in uh, Leviticus chapter 14. It's one of those really long and drawn out processes described in the Old Testament that sometimes we don't like to read when we're going through our Old Testament reading. But if you really understand what's being described in the cleansing of the leper, it's actually a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us in His saving work for us on the cross. He told the leper, don't go and try to promote this. I don't want publicity for my ministry. He didn't need publicity for his ministry. The reason Jesus healed people was because he cared about people personally. And so he, said, he told this leper, don't go and try to tell everybody. Um, uh, just go and obey what the law tells you to do and thank God for your cleansing. And that's what he asked the leper to do. Now, and actually in Mark chapter 1, a parallel passage to this, we find that the leper didn't listen. And to be honest with you, I don't blame him, humanly speaking. If I got cleansed from my leprosy, you know what I'd be doing? I'm clean! 
I've, I've had to go around for, for years saying, unclean, unclean. I'd go around saying, unclean, all right? And uh, that's exactly what the leper did. In fact, so much so that Jesus couldn't even stay in the city anymore because so many people heard about this leper getting, getting healed from his leprosy and they began to throng Jesus and his ministry. But here's the convicting thought that the Lord spoke to me about this week. In the one case where Jesus told a man after he did a healing work in his life, don't tell anybody, he couldn't stay quiet about it. But in our case... Jesus does a miraculous work in our hearts, saving us from sin. And he says to us, now go tell everybody. And we keep quiet. Isn't that a convicting thought? See, ought not we who have experienced the saving touch of Jesus Christ be the one like this leper who'd been cleansed to be the most prone to go out and say, praise God, I'm saved. Let me tell you about this Jesus because he could do the same thing for you. So we see this, this, this person who, by society's standard, was an outcast. And here's the first application I want to give you on this first point here. And that is this. Jesus is willing to help and to heal outcasts. Jesus is willing to help and to heal outcasts. Now you may have come in here today, and you're like this leper. You're a sinner. You're outcast from God. You can't save yourself from your sin. You know you're dirty and you know you need to be made clean. I'm so thankful Jesus is willing to help and to heal outcasts just like you. And if you'd come to Jesus today to save you, he'll do exactly that. Now some of you, you know that you're saved. But the fact of the matter is, um, you have another need in your life. Be it physical, be it spiritual, be it emotional. I'm so thankful that Jesus is still in the business of reaching out and touching the lives of those who are willing to turn to him in faith. You've been trying to carry it on your own for too long. Jesus is willing to help and to heal you in your situation if you would be willing to turn to him. So we see the outcast first. Now secondly, I want us to look at a second uh, instance of a miracle of Jesus, and that is the outsider. We're going to look at the outsider. Now the, se the second miracle of Jesus it starts in verse number 5, and we see actually two outsiders spoken of here. There's a Gentile, and there is a slave. Let's look at verse 5. The Bible says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, and grievously tormented. Now these were two individuals spoken of here that would have been considered outsiders in society. Jews hated people who weren't Jews. Gentiles, they were called. And they disdained people who were slaves as well. In fact, in one of the ancient uh, Pharisaical writings, one of the, it was said that many Pharisees would pray this prayer every morning. They would say, I give thanks, God, that I am a man and not a woman, a Jew and not a Gentile, a free man and not a slave. Sound like horrible people, don't they? <laughs> uh, the more I study about Pharisees, the more I really don't like them, okay? But there was a, a cultural disdain for people who weren't Jews and people who were, uh, who were slaves. And what's interesting here as we study this account in Scripture is that Jesus actually welcomed those whom the religious crowd treated as outsiders. He welcomed them in. God is not, is not to partial in the grace that he shows. He's rich 
and the grace that he shows to all people, the Bible says. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 12, the Bible says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And so here was a man, he was an outsider from the societal perspective, but he was willing to even come from the outside to come to Jesus because he knew that Jesus was the only one who could meet his need. Look again at verse number 6. The Bible says that he said, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, and grievously tormented. Here was a man, he had a servant that he deeply cared about who was sick with palsy. Perhaps it was something like cerebral palsy. The tightening of the muscles, the contracting of the muscles where they won't release. It's a very painful condition uh, for people to go through. This man came to Jesus with this need on the behalf of his servant. Because he knew Jesus was the only one who could actually bring about any hope of change in his life. It's actually a good reminder for us. Because the only thing we can do for people who have no hope in the circumstance they're facing in, humanly speaking, is to get them to Jesus. A lot of times we turn to a psychologist or we turn to a doctor or we turn to, uh, a turn to someone else in this world before we turn to the Lord. Our first option ought always to be, I'm going to get him to Jesus. I'm going to get him to the Lord. That was what this centurion did, this Roman centurion. And so the Bible tells us that he came to Jesus with his need. And look what it says in verse number 6 again. It says that he came saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Now a couple of things that were interesting about this centurion here that I want us to note down here. First, we see his reverence as well. What did he call Jesus? Lord. He was claiming Jesus as Lord. Now that's a significant thing for a Roman centurion to do. For a Gentile who, who was probably born into a pagan home and didn't believe in Jehovah God. He looks at Jesus and calls Jesus Lord. He believed in who Jesus was. You see his reverence, but we see also his humility. He, he comes to Jesus and notice what he says. He asked Jesus, and actually we don't see this in this passage, but if you go to Luke chapter 4, a parallel passage, which we don't have time to do right now, you'll find that he did not actually come himself. He sent an embassage of Jews as a representative for him to ask Jesus to do this for him. Because, as we'll see, look at verse number 7, or verse number 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not what? Worthy. worthy. He said, I'm not worthy. We see his humility. He said, I'm not worthy that you should come to my house. And, and, and he, and he actually, uh, actually says at the end of that verse, to come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. And the other passage, he actually says, he, he, he adds to it and says, he not only said, I'm not, I'm not worthy for you to come into, under my roof, but he added to that, I didn't even feel like I was worthy to come and see you myself. This man had great humility because he understood who Jesus was. We also see his great faith in this circumstance. He told Jesus, speak the word only, and I know my servant will be healed. And then he gave this illustration. Look at verse number 9. He said, for I am a man under what? Authority. Authority. Having soldiers unto me, and I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and another come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. He understood something about Jesus that many of us have still not wrapped our heads around. He understood that Jesus had authority from God. That Jesus was, God's, was God in the flesh on this earth. And as such, he had authority, the very authority of God. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus said in another place. 
And so he understood being a Roman centurion, a man who was over a hundred different soldiers, what it was like to have authority. He said, if I tell someone to go do something, they go do it. And if I tell someone to come and see me, they come and see me. So when I say something, it gets done. And he looks at Jesus and he says, all I, all, I know all you need to do is to say, be healed and my servant will be taken care of. There's power in this. Listen to me. Jesus, our Savior Jesus, still has authority over disease. He still has authority over sickness, over the elements of this world, over everything in heaven and earth. He has the authority. And when He says for something to be done, it's done. This, this centurion, he had such great faith in the Lord that he believed that Jesus could meet his need because he had the authority and he had, he had the ability to speak the word and it was good as done. Now, by the way, this is the kind of faith that pleases God. Look in your notes at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he what? Is. And that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. You know what kind of faith pleases God? The faith that believes that God is. In other words, you believe in the authority of Jesus as God. Listen, this is why we pray in Jesus' name. You understand that? Because Jesus is the one that has authority. He's the one that carries the authority. All right? And I don't have time to, to uh, belabor this very long, but in my own household, if one of my daughters goes to my other daughter and says, hey, do this, they're very inclined to say no. But if they come back and they say, dad said, or even better, mom said, do this. Oh, that carries some authority with it now, doesn't it? See, when you try to take care of things by yourself, you have no authority. But when you come in Jesus' name, you carry His authority. And the faith that pleases God is a faith that prays under the authority of the name of Jesus according to His will. But also, it's a faith that believes not only that He is, but that He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. We don't only believe that Jesus has authority, but we also believe that Jesus has ability. That when we pray, we know that God has the power to answer our prayer. Listen, the Bible is very clear. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. There's not a need that you have that God can't meet it if it's His will to do it. And it's about time we get back to, back to uh, believing prayers uh, as Christians. So often we pray and we wonder if God even hears our prayers. We wonder if God even has the ability to answer our prayers. But we have a God who has the authority and the ability to answer the prayers of His people. So the centurion had great faith when he came to Jesus with this need on the behalf of his servant. So great was his faith that I'll just mention this. Look at verse number 10. Jesus stopped to do something here. The Bible says when Jesus heard it, he what? He marveled. He was amazed and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. There's only two things that the Bible says Jesus ever marveled at. You know what they were? Great faith and great unbelief. He marveled at the great faith of this Gentile who didn't even see Jesus and believed that he could answer his prayer. Later on in Mark chapter 6 and verse 6, he marveled 
at the great unbelief of the Jews, who even though they'd seen everything he had done, still refused to believe. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Sometimes I wonder when God looks down on us if he's marveling. Marveling at the faith that we're exercising him. But for some who come here Sunday after Sunday, marveling at how you can continue to say you don't believe. In spite of everything that you've seen God do in your life. Jesus marveled at it. It's a convicting thought. Moving on, we find that as Jesus uh, marveled at this man's faith, He then turned to the messengers who came to Him on behalf of this centurion. In verse number 14, uh, sorry, verse number 13, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. Servant was healed in the self same hour. And boy, I love thinking about the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. Just as that centurion had believed, Jesus said, It's done. And that very hour, his servant was healed. Now, I like to think that group of messengers the centurion had sent to Jesus, they ran back and they came back expecting to tell the centurion the good news. Jesus said he'd heal him. And they came home to find out what had happened. It was already done. I like to think that centurion was sitting there by his servant that he loved so dearly. And all of a sudden, his muscles began to relax. And all of a sudden, he was healed from his palsy. And a smile comes on his face because he knew what had happened. Jesus had said, be healed. And it was done. Boy, that's a powerful thing because that is a demonstration of the healing power of Jesus Christ. We see the outcast. We see the outsider. And here's the second application I want to give you. Jesus lets outsiders in. In that society, everyone else would have rejected this Gentile centurion. Everyone would have rejected the need of a a meager servant boy. But Jesus didn't. He let him in. And for those of us who are outside the fellowship of God, who don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior, God is still in the business of, let, of welcoming us back in. And praise God for it today. Now we've got to hasten. We see the outcast. We see the outsider. But the final truth I want us to see is the obsolete. The obsolete. Look at verses, verse number 14. I'm going to read, uh, read this for sake of time, all of it. The Bible says that when Jesus was come into Peter's house. So now he's coming into his disciple Peter's house. He saw his wife's mother laid sick. Now, that's a big problem for Catholics, okay? Because Peter was married, obviously. Right? Um, nobody just goes around and chooses a mother-in-law without a wife, okay? Those things come together, you understand? Right? So, he comes to Peter's house. Uh, he saw his wife's mother-in-law laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Here's this woman, especially in biblical times, Women were, women were uh, certainly a persecuted class. And I don't have time to elaborate this as much as I'd like to. But not only that, but this woman was living in Peter's house, which means that her husband had likely long before passed away. She's at home, and another account of Scripture says that everyone else had gone off to synagogue to a church service. She's left at home alone, sick. 
She can't get over this sickness. She can't get around. She can't do, do anything. In a very real sense, can you imagine being in the position of this woman? She probably felt helpless. She probably felt useless. She probably felt lonely and forgotten. Obsolete in every sense of the word. But in the midst of her suffering, Jesus came to the house where she was at. And the Bible says that Jesus saw her. <laughs> he saw her. I'm sure many times she felt like nobody else saw. Nobody else cared. But when Jesus came in, the Bible says he saw her. I just want to stop here and remind, because some of you, this is where you're at today. Right? You may not have a physical malady today, but spiritually or emotionally, you very much feel obsolete, worthless, alone, like no one cares. Can I remind you that just as Jesus saw this woman in her hour of need, he sees you. In Genesis chapter 16, God reveals a name of himself to us. It's El Roy. You know what it means? The God who sees me. That's who God is for you. Jesus saw this woman in her, in her condition having this sickness, this fever that very likely may have killed her. And the Bible says when he saw her, he went to her, he touched her, and he healed her from her fever. And when she got healed, you knew she was healed because she got up and she began to serve all the people who were there. And uh, I can just, I just imagine seeing Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law uh, back in action and, and uh, getting around and serving everybody who came. Now, compared to the other miracles we just looked at, this miracle seems to be really minor, right? She had a fever. She feels better. We don't know anything about the extent of the fever. But here's one of the big reasons why I believe Jesus, or Matthew shared this account in the scripture. Because what happened as a result of this miracle was very major. Go on to the next verse. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, And when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. This rather minor, minor miracle of healing this dear woman had a major impact. Word began to, get around, began to get around the city about these miracles that Jesus had done for this leper and uh, this miracle that Jesus had done for, for Peter's mother-in-law. And all of a sudden, at the end of the Sabbath, everybody said, we got to get to Jesus, and he's at Peter's house. And they all began to come to Peter's house. And boy, that whole community was impacted by the healing ministry of Jesus Christ all because of this dear woman who had experienced the healing touch of Jesus Christ. And one person brought out this application, and don't miss this. Listen, I know, we're, I know the hour's, hour's late. But he said, blessings in the home ought to lead to blessings in the community. I want you to listen. For some of you, one of the best ways that you can impact the world around you is simply by letting God do a work in your heart and your home. Because the biggest testimony that we can have is from the work that Jesus Christ is doing in our own lives. And this woman who seemed to be so obsolete, God used her testimony in a great way to impact that city because she allowed Jesus to do his work in her life. And I love what the Bible says there in verse number 16. With all these demon-possessed ones and these sick ones that came to Jesus, the Bible says at the end of verse 16 that he healed how many? All 
that were sick. He healed every single last one of them. There was not a need that was brought to Jesus that he did not and was not able to take care of. There was not a person who came to Jesus that he was not willing to help. The Bible says that Jesus ministered and took care of the needs of them all. This leads me to my final application. Let me write this down. Jesus is willing to heal the hurt of anyone. I don't care who you are. He is willing to heal the hurt of anyone. Now, in the midst of our fast-paced society, it's easy to feel forgotten. It's easy to feel alone. It's easy to feel like nobody cares. But I want you to take heart this morning. God has not forgotten about you. Jesus cares about your need. And He is able to help you if you would be willing to trust Him. 1 Peter 5.7 says you can cast all your care upon Him because He cares for you. There's still a need for the healing ministry of Jesus Christ today. And I say again to you, Whatever type of healing you are in need of today, be it physical, be it emotional, be it spiritual, Jesus is able to bring it to you if you would trust Him. If you would simply trust Him. Jesus is willing to help and to heal outcasts. He is, uh, he is willing to let outsiders back in. And He is willing to heal the hurt of anyone who comes to Him and trusts in Him. So my final question for you is this. Would you be willing... To bring your need to the Lord Jesus today. He has the authority and he has the ability to meet your need if you will trust him. And last thing, if you are here and you are suffering from a sin sick soul. You are lost in your sin like that leprous man. You cannot cleanse yourself. You need to come and trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sin and be your savior you need to get that taken care of today. And as God has spoken to your heart, I hope you allow the hand of Jesus to touch you and to heal you from your sin today and save your soul.